the greatest hits of all time on WNJH HD1 Hamilton. The views and opinions expressed on this show are entirely those of the host, guests, and callers who are entirely responsible for all show content and do not reflect the opinions of WNJHradio.com. This program is not intended to diagnose any condition or promote any lifestyle. And now, WNJHradio.com presents The Carpenter's Son with Pastor Vince Lombardo from Calvary Chapel Church in Hamilton. It is good to be with you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in with us this Tuesday evening. We have much to talk about this wonderful holiday season. As you are well aware, the, uh, the weather is changing, the climate is changing, and so is our heart and our attitude. I hope changing from one of despair into hope and celebration. Here we go into this holiday season, and we have great things to be thankful for. We just came off of a Thanksgiving, and I hope that yours was, again, wonderful. And now that we transition into what is commonly referred to as the holiday season, uh, we're going to discuss about some of the characters surrounding this wonderful holiday of Christmas. And in doing so, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, it is good that we have your word, but more than that, it is good that you sent your son, Jesus Christ. Come down here, born of a virgin. Yes, I pray put my faith and trust in you, and I invite you, Lord, to speak truth into people's lives. And this evening, as we share from your word and we share some commentary concerning uh, this Christmas and holiday season, may you be glorified, and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, thank you for tuning in. Our phone number here is area code 609-593-9654. Again, 609-593-9654. It is good to have you with us. We are going to discuss some of those things uh, as we talked about last week. I don't want to call them obscure, but they're they're not part of the traditional, uh, we'll call it the media holiday uh, focus. You know, I, I just did a Google search of characters surrounding Christmas, and it, everything came up from Charlie Brown to... Santa Claus, of course, to La Bafana, to those of you who are Italian and know who she is. Uh, she's the, the Italian witch, rides a broom, and she goes down the chimney, and she gives gifts to children at Christmas time. So, you know, wonderful celebration. But these are the characters that come up. But in the Bible, you see, there's a whole different list of characters that surround the events concerning the birth of the Christ child. All of those characters that I just mentioned from Charlie Brown all the way through to Santa Claus, they are, oh, well, they're, they're taken from events, and they are utilized at best to describe that which is the heart condition. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, of God the Father toward his children in St. Nicholas, and giving good and perfect gifts, going back to the 3rd century and some stories concerning uh, St. Nicholas, who helped give money to the poor. In fact, his greatest gift was he saved some uh, virgins from being sold into slavery by giving them enough money for a dowry so they could get married. And the, and those accounts, you know, I'm, I'm not here to address those accounts. I'm here to address what's in the Word of God. And the Word of God was written several centuries prior to that. And the, that which we have is the event concerning the birth of the Christ child. And there are enough characters there to keep us busy for this holiday season. Some of them we're going to look at this holiday season are going to include the shepherds, wise men, the innkeepers. We have Anna, Simeon, 
Zacharias and Elizabeth. They're like, wait a minute, John the Baptist. John the Baptist in the Christmas story? I didn't see him in my nativity scene. How come he's not there at the nativity? Where in the world is he? Well, we're going to look a little bit at John the Baptist because this is the magnificent story. And if you look at the four Gospels, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels. And of those Gospels, you know, each one has a different perspective. Matthew's perspective had Jesus as the king, you know, and as a king, Jesus was the one who spoke often about the kingdom of heaven. So you see the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see the kingdom of heaven parables in Matthew's gospel because Jesus Christ is king. When you get to the gospel of Mark, Mark is represented as the one who is the servant. Uh, Often Jesus, because he came to be a servant, he is symbolized by that which is the ox, and he then is one who is very busy. So you see in Mark's gospel, you see the word and over and over and over again, which is, and Jesus Christ came into a town, and he went and healed the sick, and he then went and he cleansed, and he went and he did, and he continued to do until he was exhausted well into the evening, and Jesus then went to go pray in the evening, as was his custom. So the word and is there over and over again because Jesus kept himself very busy. Mark chapter 2 has Jesus working from sunup to sundown, and uh, he kept a schedule that is rigorous. Luke has Jesus represented as a man in his humanity, that Jesus Christ came, certainly born of a virgin. So Luke, he was a a Greek, he was not Jewish, and Luke, who wrote that gospel, he wrote having talked to the first-hand witnesses and then summarized it, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So he presents this as the perspective of, excuse me, of Jesus being a man. Then you find John, who wrote his gospel, and he has Jesus is Lord. He's God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among men. Truly, Jesus would say in John's gospel, I and the Father are one. He would call himself God in John's gospel. So therefore, we have four presentations of Jesus. In Luke's gospel, we find the birth presented in a very miraculous way. So when we think about the birth of baby Jesus, some things might come to mind. The songs that we sing, Away in a Manger, O Little Town of Bethlehem, they're terrific because they help us to be able to remember those which are the events surrounding the most miraculous birth of all time the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ. So when you think about a little town of Bethlehem, Bethlehem is a little town in, in Israel. It, it's not a big borough. It's, it's still there today, by the way. Uh, literally, it means house of bread, which is interesting because Jesus, one of his names is he's the bread of life. And in the house of bread, the bread of life was born. That's rather fitting. But you find that You know, even prophetically, uh, it was told that he would be born in Bethlehem, and that was recorded some hundreds of years before his birth. And here, uh, then we find that in Bethlehem, uh, that as we start talking about those things that are, are, are related to 
the holiday season, you then find shepherds, and then you find what have been referred to as the innkeepers, and we have him presented. But as Luke is presenting his gospel, he will talk about this birth, and then it takes four verses for the setup. If you can picture, if you can stomach a golf analogy, this is God the Father taking and setting up for this long drive. So he eyes the course, sets the tee, and puts the ball up, and he does that in just four verses. And I'm going to read them, inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, Luke writes. These are factual events that have taken place, and it's as if he says to those people around him, and you guys know it. You lived through this. You know exactly what I'm talking about. For instance, I can tell I can tell you 9/11, and everybody within the hearing of my of my voice then says, "Oh, I know what 9/11 was. That's right, because we lived it. We lived through it. Some lived closer to the events than we did. Some, you know, of us living in Jersey, we were not as far as others, but everybody was impacted by it. If you." scroll down another 20 or 30 years, 9-11 will still have happened. You know, I, I was not alive during the invasion of uh, December 7th, 1941. Uh, but I remember because it has been taught to me. So, and of course, my father and mother were both alive. So they could give me a first-hand account of that. So when you start to see the events that have taken place and have been fulfilled among us, these are real events. This is not fairy tale. This is the truth. And then he says here in verse 2, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses. So many people saw all of these events that Luke is proclaiming to be true. So there is absolute opportunity for anyone to come out and say, no, that's not true. They could stand up in the public forum and say, nah, lies, lies. But it's not lies. It's all true because they all have seen it. These things which you have seen and heard pass on to faithful men. We find the Apostle Paul telling people. And then he said, it seemed good, verse 3, it seemed good to me also, uh, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write you an orderly account so he says, I'm going to write an orderly account of everything that I know because I have a complete understanding of all these things so that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So here he's writing to a man whose name is Theophilus. That means lover of God. So a man named Theophilus received this letter from uh, the gospel writer Luke. And Luke writes this account, and the heading is just these first four verses. Then he says in verse 5, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. And then he gives his family division and that his wife was of the daughters of Aaron. So his wife was a descendant of even Moses' brother Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no children. This is the event, this is the account of the birth of John the Baptist. Now it is interesting that Luke, as he writes his gospel, that he records for us, I want you guys to know everything that is necessary for you to be able to have a full understanding of that which has taken place. And what is it that he's presenting 
He's presenting Jesus Christ, and he's presenting Jesus Christ in his humanity. You see, Matthew has already presented him as the king. Mark has presented him as that servant. He said, he's human, and I want to present to you his humanity. Neither uh, Mark nor John will have in their Gospels concerning the birth of Jesus Christ. Luke takes that which was Matthew's uh, Gospel and Matthew's present presentation of it, and he said that's great that Matthew has presented that which is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, but let me give you the events surrounding the circumstances of his birth. So he starts with a priest named Zacharias. Excuse me. This priest named Zacharias who was well up there in age. And this is, I mean, this is all part of the story of Christmas. Zacharias was a priest and it was his lot. It was decided by uh, the time and the order for him to go in and make the offering of incense. And then he was going to come out of the temple and he was going to make great blessing to the people. It was an opportunity at three o'clock in the afternoon when all the people would gather to pray that as he would come out after offering that which is the sacrifice of the incense, which represented the prayers of the people, that he would come out and then proclaim a blessing to the people from God. And here he is, and he's inside the temple. And as he's ministering to the Lord, as he's going about his business, making the offering, an angel appears to him. And as the angel appears to him, as he's just on the altar of incense, he's about to put down the incense on the altar. If you've ever seen incense burning, if you've ever been in church where they burn incense, the smell of incense is pervasive. It's designed to spread as an aromatic throughout the room. It's for us to recognize that that's what God thinks of our prayers, that when we pray, that they go up to him as a sweet-smelling aroma. And he wants us to recognize that that's what he wants for us, is to know that he is hearing and listening to our prayers. So while he's right on the side of this altar of incense, the angel appears to him, and Zacharias is clearly afraid. And the angel says, don't be afraid, your prayer is heard, and Elizabeth, your wife, will bear you a son, and you're going to call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. And then there's some instructions as to how you're going to raise him, and you're going to raise him... Uh, as a Nazarite, which means he's going to make a vow even from his youth. And Zacharias then says to the angel, uh, he said, look, I'm having a hard time believing this. How can I know this? And the angel turns to him and gives him his name. I am Gabriel, the messenger of God. And I stand in the very presence of God, and I was sent to you to bring you glad tidings. Literally, I bring you the gospel. I bring you good news. But you're not going to be able to speak. You're going to be mute. And you're going to be mute until you have this child. So the people, they wait. They're waiting for Zacharias to come out of the temple and offer this magnificent prayer of blessing. And as he comes out, he can't speak. He can't say a word. He didn't bring a tablet in with him. There's no way for him to really communicate. So it says that the people marveled because he lingered so long in the temple. 
And then when he came out, it was clear to them that he had seen some kind of a vision. So they beckoned to him, and he remained speechless. And then after his term of service was completed, he went home. And then Elizabeth conceived. And then for five months, she hid the thing. She didn't let anybody know until she was six months pregnant. There's only speculation as to why. Perhaps she was afraid. You know, uh, we don't know how many children she may have had or lost. We know she has no children that are alive. How many children has she lost? How many pregnancies have failed? So she's now waiting until she's six months along before anything is said. And then by the sixth month, it says that she says, the Lord has dealt with me and he looked on me. He took away my reproach. And the sixth month, now this is, that's Elizabeth. We're going to get back to her in a moment. In the sixth month, the same angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So now John the Baptist is uh, is already conceived. He's six months in the womb when the virgin, Mary, is given the announcement that she's going to have a child. So the he goes to the virgin, and having come in, verse 28 of chapter 1, he says to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Just a side note, guys. There is a lot in the Bible about Mary. Mary is a wonderful woman whom God calls blessed. She's a woman whom God holds in high regard. She physically was the biological mom of Jesus. She carried him. She gave birth to him. It's clear that she nursed him and that she raised him. She instructed him and taught him. She was a mom to him. There are great blessings surrounding that. But we don't want to overdo We don't want to add to the Bible what is not written in the Bible. Mary's a wonderful woman, but she is not your Savior. She cannot save you. She cannot fix things for you. She cannot go on behalf of you to her son, Jesus. She cannot owe you. She is in heaven. She needed a Savior just like you and I. She was a virgin, absolutely, And the Holy Spirit came upon her, absolutely. And Jesus was born, absolutely truthful. She raised him, and she is a wonderful woman. She sings a great and beautiful song, which if we have time, we might look at in a few moments. But we're looking at Zacharias and Elizabeth right now. And Elizabeth is six months pregnant. She's very old. And now we have Mary, who is very young. And she's now pregnant with the Messiah, Jesus. The angel goes to her and says, you've found favor. And you will conceive. And then he will be great, called the son of the highest. And he'll reign over the house of David 
forever, house of Jacob forever and ever. And then Mary says, how can this be? I've never known a man. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And Elizabeth, your relative, literally your cousin, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. The next verse, write this down in your Bible and put it on your bookmark, for with God nothing is impossible. Mary responds with, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be according to your word. And she immediately gets up and goes, where? To Elizabeth. That's right. She's going to go see her cousin Elizabeth and Zacharias. I wonder what she needs. Maybe some encouragement. Maybe some, uh, we'll call it some clarification. Probably she could use some affirmation. I mean, this is, these are strange and unique circumstances. Mary has never been intimate with a man, yet now she's pregnant. What is God doing, and how is he doing it, and to whom she, can she turn for help? So she enters the house of Zacharias and greets Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leapt in her womb. Now, the babe is a little over six months old when Mary comes to her. So she's six months pregnant, of course, and Mary is just recently so. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke out with a loud voice and says these wonderful words. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. These are Elizabeth's encouraging words to Mary. Now, what do I see in this? This wonderful woman, Elizabeth, who is well beyond childbearing years. She's a woman who is called upright before the Lord. She has an opportunity to feel as though things in her life are going to get difficult. She's going to be a mom in old age, but she doesn't. She looks at it as a privilege and a blessing. And now when Mary comes, what is her humble response? She turns to Mary and she says, oh, my Lord has granted to me the magnificent blessing that the mother of Jesus might come into my home. Oh, wow. So this holiday season, I'm going to pause right here. Because one of the things that is the, the necessary step for us to take is uh, the mother of Jesus has come. Because Jesus wants to be invited into our homes, and we have an opportunity to allow him into our homes or not. And this holiday season, I don't want us to get hung up with Charlie Brown or Santa Claus or Rudolph or the 12 days of Christmas or figgy pudding, I want us to get hung up on Jesus Christ. He's the one who wants to come into our home. He is the one that wants to come into our, our hearts and lives. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and so forth. My spirit, read that in verse 46 of chapter 1 of Luke's Gospels all the way down to verse 56. That's Mary singing a wonderful song. And Elizabeth then is about to have a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to, with her, to her, and they rejoiced with her. 
And then all of a sudden she has a child. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. They would have called him by his father's name, Zacharias. And his mother answered and said, no, he'll be called John. But there's no one among your relatives called by that name. And his father made signs to have him called and wrote down on a tablet, his name is John. Then, of course, you find that Zacharias then gives this wonderful prophecy concerning the birth of Jesus Christ to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sin and so forth. What a wonderful opportunity. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, was in the desert still a day of his manifestation to Israel. What is Luke giving us as a recording here. He wants us to get to know this wonderful couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth. He wants us to know who they are. This is the Christmas story. And we could go through the whole Christmas event without getting to know these two righteous, godly, beautiful people. What a wonderful couple who spent their whole lives uh, not quite sure what God's plan is, wondering if they would ever see the fulfillment. Are they going to have a child? Is God going to do something in their lifetime? Is God going to save and bring peace on earth, goodwill toward men? You see, I believe that Zechariah's prayer, when he was in the temple, was not one of, Lord, just please give me a child, but Lord, please send that which is the Prince of Peace. Please bring that which is healing to the world, because only the Messiah will help. And the prayer has been answered, and Zechariah heard Gabriel announce that. And as a result, uh, he's, his prayer to God is, please send the Messiah. And the answer to the prayer is, he's coming, and this is going to be the sign. You're going to be the father of the forerunner of that wonderful Messiah. He's going to get to proclaim that which is the good news of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a wonderful opportunity. And then we see him fathering John the Baptist. You don't often think of the birth of John the Baptist at the time of the Christ child or the holiday season. Yet Mary and Elizabeth delivered children three months apart. Now, I don't know about you, but you know there are things that we can reasonably infer we don't have to head down speculation. We don't have to go into any of those areas where we're like, oh, I'm not sure, conjecture, speculating as to whether or not they knew each other. Of course they knew each other. Of course you know that Mary and Elizabeth knew each other. Of course you know that while Elizabeth was pregnant, Mary went to go see her. Now, did Mary go and help Elizabeth for those three months while she was about to, you know, from her sixth month to her ninth month? Well, we have a reasonable inference. And the reasonable inference is, yes, you're the younger cousin. Your older cousin has, you know, no other uh, children. There may or may not be other family around. We just do not know, so don't speculate. But reasonable inference is that since Mary was already there, she would be there to rejoice with her. There's no reason for her to go anywhere else. Should she go back to her own hometown, she might face the difficulty of the slanted eyes and the furrowed brow of those who would say, well, we know who our father is, but your son his heritage is questionable, calling her uh, bad names. If you ever want to get in wrong with God, call Jesus' mom uh, a bad name. <laughs> and they're willing to do that. And you find that reasonable inference is that, of course, 
Mary and Elizabeth would know each other. That, of course, Jesus and his cousin John the Baptist, they're three months apart in age. They share this. They're linked together through the Holy Spirit into ministry. That as John the Baptist is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah, Jesus is the Messiah. As John the Baptist is going to be the one who's spending his whole life uh, with a vow of a Nazarite, which means he's not going to cut his hair, he's not going to touch anything dead, and he's not going to take or touch anything that has to do with grapes. He's going to keep himself pure and holy before God. That's going to be a very public uh, presentation of that which is the inward work of his life, which is I'm called to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Just as my father Zacharias has said, he's the one that's going to bring the gospel. Just as the angel has said, I am presenting the gospel. John the Baptist is going to say, I'm here to represent to you. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The gospel of Jesus Christ is right here with you. It's all about Christ, and all of these people are coming together. God is working out this miraculous scene that is set in order to present the birth of his child. And it begins, of course, hundreds of years earlier with that which is the setup and then the prophecies concerning. And now the fulfillment begins with John the Baptist. So you may not have associated John the Baptist with Jesus' birth. So I hope that we've, we've gotten some clarity in that to be able to say, look, even John the Baptist was an infant at the time of Jesus' birth that he certainly was aware and grew up, and, well, we'll call him, related to each other for sure, how much interaction they had with Jesus having to flee to Egypt and coming back as a child back to Nazareth. We do not know. We don't want to speculate, but we do know that they're related and we do know that they knew each other. So here we find the magnificent words of Zacharias is he's going to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Wow, wouldn't that be wonderful? These wonderful opportunities that John the Baptist had. You, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. You'll go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of sins. Oh, my goodness, what a wonderful opportunity. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his manifestation to Israel beautiful blessing to his son concerning his ministry as the forerunner of Jesus. It's beautiful. And as we look at this holiday season, we see that God is setting up this magnificent scene, and he hasn't even gotten to the manger yet. So we're going to take a break at this time. And uh, for station identification, again, the phone number here is area code 609-593-9654. Thank you again. Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school, but I still can't afford to put food on our table. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council.
The Hamilton Gazette has the best coverage of local government, schools, civic life, entertainment, religion, as well as sports. It's a locally owned newspaper with many staff members and advertisers from Hamilton and South Jersey. Read the paper Hamiltonians look forward to each week. The Hamilton Gazette. Visit us at www.hamiltongazette.com. Follow the Hamilton Gazette on Twitter at H-A-M-M Gazette. You're listening to The Carpenter's Son with Pastor Vince Lombardo on WNJHradio.com. It is good to have you back. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we are discussing, actually, we're just talking about some of those people associated with the birth of the Christ child. We have this Christmas season, you know, where we uh, sometimes become familiar with the stories of the event and the advent, and we uh, become familiar with the scene uh, around the manger, and you uh, picture the creche or creche, depending on your pronunciation of it, that which is the depiction of the manger. And then you picture a couple of animals there in the stall, and there's always a donkey laying down or kneeling down, and there's always a lamb or two in there, and a shepherd and his staff, and it's a pretty picture. And sometimes you find that very same um, nativity scene, and you'll see three wise men in there offering their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to the Christ child, uh, but you you don't often see that which is the reality, that which is the, the I will call it the common workaday life of a woman who's giving birth. You know, here she is, uh, she's just seen the miraculous birth of John the Baptist. She's heard the miraculous blessing of Elizabeth, the miraculous blessing of Zacharias, the priest. She's heard that which is the the words of um, her cousin's husband, who is the priest, Zacharias, who certainly has no reason to lie. And even as he comes out and speaks this wonderful truth, this marvelous truth, then the evidence is that he has the son, John the Baptist. So everything that he says has been confirmed that the angel Gabriel has made this great announcement. And here you find Mary saying, and God has allowed me to be part of it. Yes, Mary is a wonderful part of it. And we'll look at her in greater detail in the weeks to come. So but right now we're looking at those who are kind of, I don't call them on the on the outskirts or periphery, but there are those that are, are not the, the forerunners, the ones you don't see in, in the story. You see Caesar Augustus saying that all the world must be taxed, that the coincidence just happened to be that at this time that there needs to be a census. And by the way, whenever you see the word census, anytime you see uh, reevaluations, you know your taxes are going up. It just happens every time when they come around and say, I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. Those may not necessarily be all of the truth. They're from the government, and they're here to see how we can help them, so or how they can help themselves to, to you know fill in the blank. Your taxes annually do not go down when they come and reassess. So here it is. I want you to come back into your homeland because you need to go back to the city where you're, you were born so that we can get a real good record of everybody so we can tax you appropriately. We don't want those people falling through the cracks. And it just so happened that at just this time that that's when you find Joseph having to go back to that little town of Bethlehem, his ancestral home near the city of David. It's this wonderful little suburb not far from, you know, several miles from Jerusalem, but it's, you know, it's not terribly far. 
And here he is going to go there from Nazareth, which is further north from there. And it's quite a trek. And it's not something he would say, oh, you know what? I think I'll just go on a vacation in Bethlehem. He wouldn't have, by the way. And being the, you know, a carpenter, he very probably did not have great financial resources. But when the governor says, you're going to go to the homeland, the city of your birth, and go register there, you're going to go there and register. The king was not to be debated. The king was to be obeyed. So when he said it, you just did it. He does not care if you have a hardship excuse because your wife is pregnant and it's going to be difficult to travel. That's not the problem. Well, it's not his problem. That's a personal problem of yours, and you need to figure it out because you're going to go and do as I've said. So we find that Joseph is on his way to go there. The second group of people I want to look at tonight are, we'll call them the innkeepers. You may have in your mind a, a, a picture of the innkeepers because you find that in the days of Caesar Augustus, and you find here in Luke chapter 2 that the angel says you're going to, uh, as it was her time to be delivered, that she brought forth their firstborn son wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There's one sentence regarding it, and that has brought about pictures and sermons on the, the innkeepers and what their heart must have been like, and there was no room in the inn. Are you going to make room in your heart this Christmas? And it preaches beautifully. However, it's in the realm of beyond inference. It's almost into speculation. There's no account in the Bible that there are any innkeepers at all. Uh, I, don't want to, I don't want to talk negative about the Christmas story because the Christmas story is a beautiful presentation. But it doesn't need the villain. It doesn't need the one that says, no, you can't come here, to be in stark contrast to those who would say, I can't believe they would kick the the poor woman who's about to be delivered and have her go into the stable to go and be with the animals. That's what you deserve because anyone that has a child out of wedlock gets treated like a second-class citizen and you are not welcome here. Now, that is possible. It is, but it is only speculation as to the reason. You see, when you see the birth of Jesus Christ, you see in the birth of Jesus Christ— was like this, Luke would write. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And we have taken that word in, and we have superimposed some kind of a uh, appearance of a hotel or a motel or a wayside traveling place to stay, and that is not the word that is written here. It's translated in because in 1611, when the King James Version of the Bible was written, that was their understanding. It was a traveler's haven, a wayfair where a traveler might go in the weary hours of the evening and might find a comfortable room to let. The word used for the in here is a different word. There is another word in the Bible that describes that type of inn. That inn is used and described in Luke, I believe it's chapter 15, don't hold me to it, but do your independent research, and that is that the event of the Good Samaritan. When the Good Samaritan picked up the man who had been 
brutalized and brought him to the place where you can rent a room. It was a, a house, we would call it perhaps a hostel, in, for those who are familiar with it. And he brought that man there and paid his way and said, please tend him. That is the word for the inn used later in Luke's gospel. So if that was intended, that would be written. But the word here, in, is actually guest room. It could very easily be the guest room of a house, a private residence. Many residences would have the place where their family lived, and then there would be, along the side of it, there would be this place called the guest room. Uh, I don't remember the Greek word. I'm going to mispronounce it Catalana, Catalan, something like that. But it means the room for guests. It means the place where you might come and stay. So if you had friends coming, if you had family coming because it was required of you to be hospitable, you would have a place for them to come and for them to to, uh, get off the road and come and rest their weary head. And you would be expecting persons uh, at times, especially during this time of the census. I mean, who wouldn't be looking for uh, all of those that had come back? The city swelled very probably to great numbers. Could you imagine if everyone who was born in, let's just say, for, for around here, if anyone who was ever born at Newcomb Hospital had to go back to Vineland to go and register, how many of us would have to go there? If if you're older and you remember being born at Hamilton Hospital here, even on Washington Street, how many would have to go there? Now you take that into larger cities and say you have to go back to the city of your birth. There would be a lot of people starting to flood back to, to different cities looking necessarily for a room to be able to put, uh, to put them up for a little while while they were registering. And here you've got Joseph, who has his wife, who's about to be delivered, and there's no room for them in the guest room of the house. That does not necessarily mean that there was, they were not put out, that they were not um, kept from being welcomed. They very well might have been mistreated, but we just don't know. So we don't add things to the Bible that are not there. We just want to read the story, the event, and the account of Jesus Christ so we don't ever have to try to defend something that's not in the Bible. When you get to these areas and say, well, what about the innkeeper? He's a terrible person. He turned Jesus away. Don't you turn Jesus away this holiday season. Make sure there's room in your heart for him. Don't be like this innkeeper. There is no named innkeeper in the Bible. It is possible that Joseph's family did not think highly of him because of his condition of his wife and the uh, surrounding gossip that was associated with her. That is possible, but that speculation we don't know. Nowhere in the scripture does it say his family turned against him. It is possible that they were not comfortable having Joseph around. It's possible they weren't comfortable having Mary around, but they did not have a place for them in the house is clear. The reason for it, we don't know. The ultimate reason for it is because Jesus Christ is born in the most meager, the most humble of surroundings 
possible. He's not born in a palace. He's not even born in a home. He's born in a manger. Now, the manger you may have pictured is somewhere in a distance, over there somewhere, away from all good humans because of the smell of the animals and so forth. Well, the reality is, and again, I I hate to mess with Christmas stereotypes, but the reality is that the manger, the place where animals were kept, was much closer to the home than you might have envisioned. It was a place where animals would be kept because it's safer for them. Those things that we associate with the smells of animals being offensive, they were part of life in many of these towns. In fact, I don't know if you've ever traveled to Lancaster, but it doesn't take long when you step out of your car in Lancaster to recognize that you're in mushroom capital of (laughs) this area that there is much fertilization taking place up there because the fertilizer runs thick and you can smell it everywhere. But after a while, it just becomes part of the natural surroundings and that's the way it was in the days where you had your animals not far from you. So they had this place where they would keep their animals. And was it unclean? Of course it was. I mean... Come on, we're talking about a barn here. We're talking about that which is a feeding trough. I don't know what your depiction in your mind is of a feeding trough, but a typical feeding trough was not made out of wood like you see in the manger scenes. Even if you came to the walkthrough at our church last week to see the the events surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ, there's a wooden manger It's a wooden manger for two reasons. One is because it's the one that most easily represents the manger in most people's minds. The second is it's easy to fold up and put away in store till next Christmas. (laughs) So it's made in an X configuration. You fold it up and you put it away. It's really fairly, you know, it's become iconic, that wooden manger. The reality is it probably was made out of some kind of stone and it would be uh, cement or concrete and it was carved out to look almost like a, a stone bowl. And that's what they would put the food in. That's what they would put uh, the oats and so forth to be able to feed the animals. And was it the most comfortable? It was solid. It was sturdy. <laughs> you know, uh, picture, uh, you know, a, a baby bathtub made out of concrete. And what would you do if you had your child to be born? And you look around and you say, there's a feeding trough. No, don't use that because animals eat out of it. Are you out of your mind? Let's clean it out, put some straw or hay down in it, put something down comfortable and put the baby in there so he doesn't get hurt, roll out, get, we don't have a crib. We don't have a place for him. That's the perfect place for him. So they put him in that manger and they put him in that, that, cattle stall yes and we sing the songs about the lowly cattle stall and that's true but we also have to recognize that it was not a place where joseph and mary were meant to be humiliated it was a place where jesus christ was to be presented by his father god to the world and it was perfectly designed to be approachable No one would be afraid to go to the stable. 
no one would be afraid to approach the baby in the manger. But had Jesus been born in a palace, only those who were invited could come. Had Jesus been born in a mansion, well-protected, well-regarded, had Jesus been born in that which is the protection of the priesthood over by the tabernacle or on the temple mount or the temple grounds, oh my goodness, who would be able to approach him? Certainly Gentiles would not be able to approach him. So who is it that is able to approach the Christ child? The next group of people we're going to look at. And we're just going to briefly touch on them. And then we're going to wrap it up. And then we're going to come back and talk about the shepherds next week because there's way too much to talk about when it comes to the shepherds. The next group of people that that can approach Jesus are the shepherds. Now, we look at shepherds. We have sanitized the shepherds. We've washed them pretty clean. And we've made sheep look like they are white as snow. Oh, their fleece is so white. Uh, I encourage you, spend a little bit of time with sheep before you draw your conclusions. Sheep, by the way, are not necessarily the brightest of animals. And they need to be led. Sheep, in fact, will sit and eat. And they'll eat the grass in one location all the way through till they eat even through the roots and make it and kill that which is the grass so that it won't grow again. That's why the shepherd has to keep moving the sheep from one field to another to green pastures because a sheep won't move on its own. The sheep don't say, oh, the grass is greener over there. When you picture sheep jumping over a fence uh, and you start counting them if you're having trouble getting to sleep, that only happens in the Serta commercials. It does not happen in real life. Sheep will stay there on this side of the fence and starve rather than jump the fence and go over there. They will eat that grass through the dirt until they're eating the roots before they will move to the field just a little bit further because they need to be led. And the sheep, by the way, also have a tendency to get hurt because they're, they're unable to defend against other animals. They tend to get lost and wander, and they get dirty. Sheep can get muddy, and the mud, especially in places where animals are living, that mud has an odor. So the sheep are not always that clean. Now, when you picture these wonderful sheep, and then you picture the shepherds, picture shepherds who are tending those sheep. I can tell you that Jesus uses the analogy of himself as a shepherd And we have, because Jesus calls himself the shepherd, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, and the chief shepherd, that because he's referred to as this shepherd, that we take David the shepherd boy, and we make him look pure and prim, and his skin is always good, and his hair is done, and it's just a little bit curly, and maybe even red, and he is the healthiest little, you just want to have him around you all the time, and the reality is anything other than that, he was a field farm laborer, and people who labor in fields on farms, especially if you're dealing with animals, have a tendency to smell much like the animals they're working with. The shepherds were watching over their flocks 
by night. In fact, it says they were living out in the fields. Make no mistake, these were people that you would want to keep at an arm's distance just because of their physical appearance. Not because you want to be rude or mean, but you definitely want to be upwind of shepherds, especially when they're working. The shepherds also were notorious. Shepherds were not even permitted because they were not considered reliable or truthful that a shepherd could not even give testimony in the court of law. That he, his, his word was not given any weight at all. So here we find these shepherds who are looked down upon. They're kind of ostracized. They would be, we use the word marginalized in the community. They would be the overlooked ones and certainly oppressed, not given any consideration at all. And then while these shepherds were simply doing their job, watching over their flock by night, an angel of the Lord stood in front of them. And then the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And I think we have to take a break before we come back. Do we have another break or... We have to take another break, and then we're going to come back and talk about these shepherds. Area code 609-593-9654. Hello, this is Diane Lombardo with Calvary Chapel Hamilton's Women's Ministry. During this difficult time with so many restrictions, it is easy to get down when we focus on the things we cannot do. I'd like to challenge us all today to focus on those things which we can do. We can call our neighbor to check on them. We can offer to get groceries for the elderly living nearby. We can send a card through the mail to encourage and brighten someone's day. We can be gracious and kind to those who are working at the grocery stores, pharmacies, and other businesses. We can brighten someone's day with just a smile from a distance. We can implement family meals within our home. We can walk around our yards and neighborhoods praying for others. We can thank those who are working on the front lines. We can plant a beautiful garden and share with our friends. We can worship God from our living rooms with live stream options. We can do so many things, even in the midst of having restrictions, in ways we never expected. Together, we can bring beauty and joy to our friends and family. I look forward to seeing the impact you will have. Please share what you're doing on our Facebook page at Calvary Chapel Hamilton. You're listening to The Carpenter's Son with Pastor Vince Lombardo on WNJHradio.com. Thanks again for joining us and for uh, giving us your comments, should you decide to call in. I want to point something out before we get into the the shepherds. We'll look at them in greater detail in a week. Uh, But the shepherds who were just minding their business, doing their job, the angel appears to them, and then they quickly uh, go and run to seek the Christ child. And we're going to look at all those events. But I want to point something out. As they go to go and see the Christ child, uh, the Christ child was in a place where they could approach him. That there was no one who would have to be afraid to go near the baby Jesus. No one's afraid of a baby in the first place, which makes him approachable. No one would be afraid of his earthly circumstances. No one would say, I'm not fit to go. In fact, these shepherds, had they had to go into a palace, could not have gone. Had they desired to go into the temple, they would have had to go through much ceremonial washing and cleansing and approval of those who were the priests before they'd be permitted in. Even if they were to ask 
to go into a house, especially one that's now overcrowded because there was no room in the house even for a woman who's about to give birth, that as they would go into the house, could you imagine the people of the home, they're not related to, they have no reason to let them in, just to say, hey, an angel came to us and we have come to worship the king of kings. They would have to gain the approval of someone to be permitted in. And Jesus didn't want there to be anything that would prohibit his approach. Shepherds could come. And as the shepherds came, they worshipped him. And they proclaimed who he is. They offered thanksgiving to God. And then they left and they proclaimed this wonderful good news. Now, when the angel came to them, the angel specifically said to them, I bring to you good tidings of great joy, which is the gospel. I give you the gospel. So Zechariah has been given the gospel. Zechariah then presents this wonderful gospel to the people. The shepherds are given the gospel, and they now present this magnificent gospel to the people around them. So those who are in the temple, those of the priesthood, they get to hear the gospel, Jesus Christ is to be born. The shepherds, those who are the common men walking through the fields, they get to share the gospel. So the people, on the passers-by, and the, we'll call them the low roads and not the high roads, and the low roads would hear the gospel that Jesus Christ is born. But on the weeks to come, we're going to meet wise men. And the wise men come from the east. And the picture of the wise men is much different than the picture of the shepherds at the scene of baby Jesus. The shepherds who were there after, immediately after the birth of Jesus Christ, they get very little recognition in that which is the nativity scene. They get a mention. They're usually represented by a shepherd. One sheep is there. But yet the wise men, when they come, they're represented by three men wearing the most opulent of uh, attire and outfits. And they each have their own camel. And they have beautiful and magnificent gold and frankincense and myrrh, and you really wish you could deck out, you know, your camel the way their camels are decked out. Oh my goodness, it's really impressive. We, through history, have even given them names. Traditionally, there are three. One's Melchior, one's Balthazar, and one's Gaspar, or Caspar, you may have heard him. Three names traditionally given to them. Three wise men, three kings, one from Ethiopia, and I forget the other two, Arabia and so forth. That's the tradition, but it's not based on the scriptural record. They don't have names in the Bible. We don't even know that there are three. We know that there are wise men that come. Why do we traditionally give them names and make them kings? Because they're presentable. They're awesome. There's something that we believe would give credibility to the story of the birth of the Christ child. If these kings would come from the east, shouldn't we then bend the knee? If they would come and offer gifts to the king of kings, shouldn't we offer gifts to the king of kings? And the wise men that were there probably 
18 months to two years after the birth of Jesus Christ. We take that which is their event and we scroll back time and we do this, you know, this uh, magic wave of the time wand and we say, I want them there in the nativity scene and we put them there and I want them prevalent. And if your nativity scene is anything like many nativity scenes, it's hard to find Mary and Joseph and the Christ child behind the three big, bold, wise men and their camels. And God said, I want the focus to be on my son. So there were no opulent wise men there at his birth. There were the humble shepherds. There were the meeker, meager no-named, normal, blue-collar, workaday men and women of the world that came to Jesus Christ. That when the angel came, he went to those who were the night shift workers as shepherds, the blue-collar, salt-of-the-earth men and women, and he said, unto you this day in the city of David has been born the Christ child. And they came. And they proclaimed his wonder to the world. Now, if they being humble, if they knowing that their testimony was not even permitted in court, if they would now proclaim to anyone who would listen, Jesus is born, the Messiah is here, the answer to all of the world's problems has presented himself. And we who have the great knowledge now that Jesus Christ has come, not only born of a virgin, but lived a sinless life and then died on the cross at Calvary. Why are we so silent? Why are we quiet about it? Why do, why do we permit that which is the superimposition of Santa Claus and Rudolph and to know the eight reindeer and the stockings and the tree and the other things that go along with it? instead of doing what the simple shepherds did to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, go and tell somebody, unto us in the city of David, the Savior has been born. I think that's a great opportunity this holiday season for us to take an opportunity to refocus our attention. What are we focused on this holiday season? What we can do, what we can't do, what restrictions we have, what stores are going to be open, what aren't? Or are we looking at that which is the hope for humanity, Jesus Christ? And if we are, are we telling others that we found him? I found that which is the answer for the world's problems. It's Jesus. I want you to know the answer for the problems in your life. It's Jesus. Follow me. I'll point you to, that's right, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. Thank you. Thank you for an opportunity to proclaim Jesus Christ, Lord and King, born of a virgin, presented to humanity, unto us the child born, unto us the Son given. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son, and we give you all the praise and glory in his magnificent name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you again next Tuesday. We're going to discuss some other, perhaps some obscure people surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. Thanks again, Rick. Thank you for joining us and listening to The Carpenter's Son with Pastor Vince Lombardo of Calvary Chapel of Hamilton. Join us next Tuesday at 7 p.m. for The Carpenter's Son on WNJHradio.com.